0: Hey guys, Lane here. Well, you all know how much I love variety in my diet. I can't stand eating the same bland food every single day. That's why I love www.myoatmeal.com. It's an amazing website where you can go and customize oatmeal. I know, I know, I know. Why would I want to go customize oatmeal? I could eat it right out of the bag. Well, let me tell you why. MyOatmeal.com has 22 billion combinations of flavors and ingredients. You heard me right. 22 billion combinations. Whether you're picking out a pre-made blend or making your own customized blend, they have all kinds of flavors. Want red velvet cake? No problem. Snickerdoodle? You can make it happen. Butter rum? Oh yeah. Cheesecake? You can get it done. And you have all kinds of additives you can add. Apples, raisins, pears, nuts, all kinds of seeds. And you can sweeten it any way you want. Need to eat gluten-free? No problem. They've got it. The best part of it all? The macros are listed as you're customizing your blend. And they change depending on which ingredients you add. Eating a little bit lower carb? No problem. Choose ingredients that make your carb count lower. Need more protein? Add higher protein ingredients. You can customize your blend to make it almost any breakdown that you want, and the prices and macros change as you change your blend. So go on over to www.myoatmeal.com and check out some of the blends that have already been made, or be adventurous and make your own. That's myoatmeal.com. Check it out, guys. Hey guys, many of you out there know I spend a lot of time bagging on bad coaches, and certainly there's more than enough of those to go around. But a lot of times people ask me who I do recommend. Well, one person we can recommend wholeheartedly is Paul Ravella of ProPhysique. Paul has received more referrals from me over the last two years than any other coach, and with good reason. Paul is competent, professional, caring, and carries himself with a lot of integrity. If you hire Paul, you're going to be getting the very best at a great value. Paul is also one of my closest personal friends, and I can say with absolute certainty I feel 100% comfortable with referring my closest friends and family to him, because I've done that. Paul Ravella of ProPhysique.com. Check him out, guys. Hey, guys. You know me and you know I love cooking up macro-friendly option meals. But sometimes when I'm always on the go, that's just not an option. So when I'm on the go or can't cook a meal, I love Quest Bars. You know I love protein and fiber and these are packed with 20 grams of high quality protein and super high in fiber. And it's easy to stay on target when you've got Quest Bars that you can bring with you anywhere. They're delicious compared to other bars that taste like bricks and leave you feeling gassy and bloated. So pick up a bar of Quest Bars today at questnutrition.com, GNC, and Vitamin Shop. Also, follow them on Instagram at questnutrition and youtube.com slash Nutrition for great recipe ideas to keep you on your goals but eating delicious.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to the next episode of Physique Science Radio. This is Sohi Lee with Dr. Lane Norton and we're here today with Dr. Joe I wanna make sure I'm saying this right, Klemzuski, is that right?
2: Uh Klemzeski. Klemzski. Okay,
1: okay, close enough.
2: Absolutely. How, how are you doing?
1: I'm great. <laughs> you know what's funny? You know what's funny? So I know Layton has a big history with him, but I've been, um, I actually worked with Dr. Joe back in 2010 and then again in 2012, and this whole time in my head, I had it, Klemczewski, in my head, because that's what it looks like.
2: Yeah, and yeah, you know, I, I've been dealing with this since kindergarten, so, you know, I just—it just it just doesn't even fade, Okay, it's fine. All right. I got it now.
1: <laughs> great start. Oh.
0: Oh, that's amazing! That's great. So, no, I mean, uh, like, like so he said. I have, I have a long history with Dr. Joe, and just to give some quick background, um, when I was getting ready for my first bodybuilding show at age nineteen, uh, I, I, Joe, I had heard of Joe because he was kind of the guy in my hometown of Evansville, Indiana. Um, just really odd that we both ended up being in the same area. Um, because it's not like uh, Evansville, Indiana is the epicenter of bodybuilding. It's not <laughs> Body- like it's <laughs> the fitness hub of the Start world. The <laughs> right. Um, but I was getting ready for the show he was promoting, and I was reading a few articles by him about uh, peak week strategy, and they were just radically different from anything I'd ever read. And uh, so I was, I was of course, uh, if anybody knows my personality, um, I was inundating him with questions uh, about things. And, uh, you know, not not trying to do it, uh, not trying to be disrespectful, but just was overstepping my bounds, essentially, in terms of uh, numbers of questions I was answering. And finally, he said, hey, listen, why don't you hire me and I'll help you get ready for this show? And, and I did that. And um, uh, I remember the first time I was going to meet Joe. Uh, it was the, it was like three weeks out from the show, and it was the most nervous I think I've ever been in my bodybuilding career because I was like, well, this guy's gonna tell me if I'm worth a shit or not, and uh, and uh, so met Joe and I remember being there uh, uh, while he's like explaining everything to me, and I'm thinking this guy coaches bodybuilding for a living, mm-hmm. and I just kind of blurted out, I want to do what you do, and uh, so you know, that was kind of my first inception of, uh, of coaching was Joe and, uh, through the years has been very supportive to me. And, uh, I would say, you know, been almost kind of a mentor into the, the coaching industry. So, uh, with that, Joe, we're honored to have you on the show.
2: It's, it's been a wild ride and it's always fun to just think back to those years where it all kind of began. And, uh, you being in Evansville and a part of that, it's, it'll always be a part of the history. So just a pleasure being here. And, uh, you and Sohi, everything you guys do for the industry and just health in general. I'm I'm amazed to uh, to see what it's uh, become and and love still being a part of it.
0: Yeah what was your What was your original thoughts when I when I blurted that out in your office because you've told this story before.
2: But, you know, I mean, it, it does happen kind of often, especially now that every time somebody competes in one show, <laughs> they think they're a, a prep coach and, right. and, <laughs> and there are they're, they're literally people who hire them. I mean, I, I have clients that come through us. They do one show. They might only be 19 or 20 years old and, and pretty soon they have half of their gym hiring them to do the same thing. So. You know, Back then, it it really wasn't even a thing. It wasn't an industry. When I started doing it, I didn't consider it an industry. I was just kind of creating this little side gig out of necessity. Uh, Once uh, I was writing for natural bodybuilding and fitness, I mean, this goes back, gosh, 16, 17, 18 years ago, and I was trading them articles for ad space. And we had some things shake up in in our world, and uh, one particular Friday – uh, the the editor in chief said, "Hey, I need your ad for Monday," and I didn't have anything to give him. I didn't have anything to advertise, so over the weekend I said, "Well, gosh, I wonder if somebody would actually pay for me to help them with contests because <laughs> I, I do it for I do it for a couple people in the gym locally, as you said." So I put out this little you know third page ad contest peaking specialist uh, ad, and it just blew up. And you know here we are, almost twenty years later. So when you came into the office and said, I want to do what you do, you know, I, I, I don't even know if I was really doing that yet uh, it, to the degree that everybody knows the industry to be now. So, you know, I, I know the first thing I said to you was, well, that's great. How about <laughs> first we you go to school? You couldn't say that these days because it doesn't matter. Every, everybody's a prep coach.
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, give us a little bit of background then to speaking of school and um, – and so, how you got into the industry, and in, in your background in uh, in education?
2: Oh, that's that's I love that because to me, I'm I'm kind of that kid who was the first in my family to go to college, and so uh, I watched my parents struggle. Uh, we were always, you know, pretty pretty lower uh, socioeconomically on the scale. And, and I love something recently. I heard one of the the political candidates say, uh, hmm. where he mentioned, yeah, it's a great season for that. A lot of sound yeah. bites. But he said, you know what, I, I just hated being poor. I, I said to myself, when I grow up, there's one thing I'm not going to be, and that's poor. And I thought, you know, that's kind of where I started. I, I wanted something more than I experienced in my childhood. Great family, parents stayed together forever, but, you know, they were, they were poor, and I wanted something different, and I thought education was the way to get where I wanted to go. So I... Uh, I they couldn't afford it. I didn't know anything about financial aid at the time, and so when I was seventeen years old, I went in the Air Force to to kind of be under the the guise of the GI Bill. My dad kind of led me down that path. So went in the Air Force, started going to school, and started gaining some confidence because here I was at seventeen and eighteen years old in in these college classrooms with all kinds of military personnel of all ages, and I loved it. I started getting you know great grades, straight A's, and I really found out I can do this. And so after a couple years, this goes back into the 80s, they were doing some budget cutbacks and they offered some early out programs. And at that time I thought, okay, now I needed the military to get me into school. Now the military is getting in the way of school. So I decided Mm. to take an early out and I just did what it took to get it done. There, There were times I worked five jobs at a time to stay in school. I was working third shift, going to school during the day. I was taking classes stacked up for twelve hours at a time, Tuesdays and Thursdays, just so I could work all weekend. I was cleaning parking lots in the middle of downtown Indianapolis at three in the morning. I did anything I had to do to get through school. So, so, once, so,
0: kids, when you, when you, when you say that you know it was really hard for you to go to college because <laughs> mommy and daddy only paid for half, it's really not that hard.
2: Yeah, you don't hear stories like that these days very much, but uh, I, I I loved it, and and because I had to work hard, it meant more to me. And so Absolutely. when I when I graduated, I I was in physical. I actually started out in in business and in, in marketing, which was again following Dad's plan. And by the time I got a couple years in, I was actually probably in my third year of school. I decided, you know, this just doesn't make my wheels spin. I'm I'm just not thrilled about this. So. I, I went to uh, some friends and some counselors, and, and the, the, the greatest thing at the time back then, because exercise science really wasn't there yet, and so forth, was physical therapy. So I, I went to uh, went through all that process and became an orthopedic physical therapist, and just loved it. Thought this is what I'm going to really? do the rest of
1: my huh. life. Had no idea.
2: Yes, and and still to this day, especially with my training, physical therapy and that whole you know functional medicine background is just key to, to everything I, I do in the gym. But I was then kind of head over heels in love with bodybuilding. I started training when I was 12. Uh, I, had, I mean, I had the goal when I was 12 years old, I'm going to be a pro bodybuilder someday. I'm, I'm reading hmm. muscle and fitness magazines, I'm looking at Lee Haney and Dorian Yates and all those guys and so i just kept going to school i was addicted i was on a roll and so i just i started working on a master's just thinking i'm going to do some some nutrition stuff i need to i need to learn more again just for bodybuilding that's how kind of naive i was i was willing to spend all that time going to school just for my hobby and then a (laughs) master's to to (laughs) do a doctorate and then you know know that
0: i know that feeling
2: (laughs) yeah so, so all of a sudden i'm 27, 28 years old. I have a, a doctorate in nutrition and I'm, and wow, I'm a pro bodybuilder awesome. and I'm doing it just for fun. I'm still a physical therapist but now I have all of this stuff and I'm like, wow, this seems way cooler. I I, I want to do something in that area. So, so we started looking around. My wife and I by then had a couple young kids and we ended up uh, knowing a person in Evansville, Indiana and this again is now the early 90s, mid 90s Personal training didn't even exist then. That's how young this field is. Jeez. So I had a friend in Evansville who was a personal trainer. And I was like, what does that mean? You you just like help people work out and you get paid for it. And and that's just how the industry was at the time. And so I bought the small gym in Evansville that he worked in because he was actually trying to sell it for the owner. I moved to Evansville. He was the only guy I knew in Evansville. And we we you know grew that little little gym into uh, what was kind of a nice little you know Evansville and regional powerhouse. like you said all the bodybuilders came there as well as all the people who needed personal training because this was the only place to get it and uh, and that's where it all started and that's where I met you was uh, right there uh, in downtown Evansville, Indiana. It's crazy. So that was that um. was the first chapter in my education, and then it, you know there there are a couple more, but uh,
0: yeah, I was going to say what what are you, what are you currently doing?
1: now, There's so much more that you do now.
2: Well, well, once I once I started writing because I I I loved just marketing um, content in a, in a way that was educational. So the first thing I ever started writing was just a simple little newsletter for our gym members. Then I started creating notes and packets of information for clients because we started nutrition programming. and I had so much that I wanted to organize, I thought, I just need to put this in a book form. So I self-published a little book, knowing that this was not going to be anything except that, just for my clients. But then I thought, okay, I'm going to do another edition of this, and and it's going to be amazing. I'm going to do it right. And so uh, at that time, I was working with a client who was a medical doctor, and he said, wow, I would love to help you with that. And I thought, well, a medical doctor co-author could do some good things. So we we published a book and actually got a nice mid mid-level publisher. And then I was I was totally eaten up with publishing and writing as a as is a, as another industry. I mean, getting into what editors do and copy editors and that kind of thing because they were flying us around the country in Canada for TV and radio interviews. And um, I thought this is just fantastic. And so. I decided just for my health writing goals, I want to go back to school and do something a little more mainstream and so I got a a PhD in health education kind of like an mph I thought I, I want this to be something where people view me as not just a bodybuilder, not just a nutrition consultant but but health
0: mm-hmm.
2: so so I did that and that worked that you know gave us that boost we needed and. Um, this this actually is kind of a kind of a long uh, long long journey through my education, but through <laughs> that writing.
0: Well, I, you have you have a long education, so.
2: <laughs> well, I, I decided for fun. I mean, not that, that not that any of that wasn't fun, but for fun, I wanted to really learn how to write well because working with those publishers and editors taught me that I I really was not as good as I thought. So I, I looked around at all kinds of program options and I ended up uh, flying back and forth every semester to Connecticut to do a master's in professional and creative writing. And I, and I took my time, it took four years to get that master's. Best thing I've ever done. Oh my gosh, it's so fun being with those creative people, learning how to write. And uh, then that made me decide because my, my genre Specificity was social science writing. I, I thought I would go in there and kind of just do fiction and fun stuff, but again, they showed me that I really don't know how to write very well. And since I write technically <laughs> for a living, I, I focused on on nonfiction. So now I'm at Harvard doing a master's in social psychology.
1: No big uh, deal. Because,
2: because with my social science <laughs> writing, and you know, Corey, Corey, uh, Doctor oh, Probst yeah. is oh, yeah. uh, you know is a psychologist. And so I thought, you know, for our our future writing and because I love this stuff. I my, my very first employee 20 years ago was a counselor, a psychologist. So it I've always been around that it it's fascinating so he, you know, it's it's the guts of everything yep. we do. Yeah. So that's where I am now.
1: So you I- somewhat value education, but only a little bit. It sounds like
2: I, 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 I just like it. I just like being involved in something. And right now, I just take a class each semester. I take my time so I can really dig in and learn it. And it's just a blast.
1: Well, I really like that. Well, first of all, I had no idea that you were, I mean, I knew you were accomplished, but not to this extent. Uh, I love hearing about, well, I wasn't good at this, and so then I went and got educated, and I, begot, and I got good at this. And um, really speaks to the, the winner's mindset that Lane and I discussed uh, not too long ago, about if you have a weakness, you you work on it. If if there's something you are not satisfied with, you are proactive about making that better. And uh, obviously, it's gotten you this far. But I wanted to ask. I was wondering, you know, you said you were getting your master's in writing. Took you four years, and you were getting flown all around the country with your books. Were you still coaching bodybuilders throughout this entire time?
2: Yeah, that's one thing that's great about us, uh, you know, being in kind of a mobile industry. It it allows that flexibility. So, you know, along the way, we started bringing on some coaches and peaking directors ourselves so that we have a lot more frontline support. Uh, I I spend most of my workday now helping our license owners, our program owners, you know, develop their businesses and skills Uh, but, but most of that is, is quite flexible. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I can, I can be on a plane or an airport doing different things and, and I don't travel too much. I try not to go, you know, too far away from home more than once or twice a month, but, uh, it, it, it does help having that flexibility. I really like
0: that. I think, I think what's cool and, you know, it's very, and I say it a lot and it's a very common thing is to, you know, follow your passion, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, I tell people, look, that it may not I encourage people to do that, but it may not end up being what you think it was going to be originally, but you can usually still find a way to make money in your passion. And so for an example of that is Joe you always would say, I mean, you're a professional natural bodybuilder, mm-hmm. and you would always say that you were a very mediocre professional bodybuilder. Now, I will point out that you have placed well at some pro shows. So that's that's something to consider. But you were never going to win the world title. You were never going to be an IFBB pro or anything like that. But you still made a living, a very successful living, what many people would love to do in the fitness industry. And so talk about that a little bit because I think that's one common theme with with pretty much every expert we've had on this show was they got really – it wasn't a job they were like, well, I got this job because I thought I could make money at it and be safe. Uh, most of them were like, yeah, I had this thing happen to me when I was growing up and I was like, got really into it. And then I just decided to do a PhD in it. And so I always felt like, um, I mean, you just know from how many questions I asked you, but you can imagine my poor professors in undergraduate school, when I would take biochemistry, I was holding the biochemistry professor after class for 15 minutes quizzing him, you know, because I was so, I was so fired up about it. And so. Um, those classes weren't. It wasn't like a bunch of work for me, just because it was. Stuff I, I wanted to learn, you know.
2: Yeah, it, and I love that because you know, like like you said, I I was not a great bodybuilder genetically, and so early in my career when I was just training, like I said, I was I was already subscribing to. Uh, fitness magazines, muscle magazines. When I was 12 years old, I had a weightlifting belt that my mom got me for Christmas when I was 12 years old, and I still wear it. Actually, I love that thing. But um, you know, I—I I mean, I was in it that deep, and yet by the time I was 20, 21, I knew, man, th- there are people who are fantastic at this, and I was just like you. I would go up to them and beg them for information. I was asking them a contest. You know, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And I'm so I'm trying everything. And one of the reasons I ended up getting into my master's and you know first doctorate in nutrition was because I thought, I, there's got to be an answer here somewhere. I need to learn how to do this better, and it, it was enough, my, my own ambition and, and work ethic was enough, like you said, to become a natural pro. And I had my strengths, but I had plenty of weaknesses that, like you said, I was just very average at best. There isn't a level in the sport that I didn't start out in last place, my first show, <laughs> last place then i move up into the men's open last place i finally get into kind of a national qualifier last place i finally become a natural pro last place but mm-hmm. every time every time i picked goals that i thought were achievable it's that, you know as a pro after doing a couple shows and placing last in classes with people like nigel davis and rob hope and dave gooden i'm like okay i've just got to beat somebody please let me just beat somebody <laughs> And so the first time I did that, you know, that was a victory. And then it's like, okay, just I want to I wanna be in the top 50%. You know, if there are 16 in my class, I want to be in that top eight. And I got there. And then I wanted to be like top five. And then I got there. And then, you know, that was kind of the end of the road. It's as far <laughs> as I could go. But uh, every step of the way, it gave me something to look for. And, and it kept me hungry to learn more, like you said
1: you know what i like the most about uh listening to your story dr joe is hearing about how you did not you were not driven by fear as far as pursuing your hobbies which then obviously has turned into a professional career has provided a living for you you were not driven by a fear of how am i going to pay my bills this month how am i how am i going to prove myself as a as a health and fitness professional um rather you were driven by a passion this is it was more of a positive driver and i think that that's the real way to be really truly successful in any industry is to do it out of love do something out of love and really pursue it out of genuine interest and i think that's important for a lot of people because especially nowadays i mean we all know the online coaching industry is so saturated at this point and and you were just saying doctor do anyone, anyone can become a coach you don't need to, you, you know. You can just decide tonight. Hey, I'm gonna start taking on online clients and charging money for it. And um, but but to really do it, because well, first of all, I think it's cool that it you you were actually you know arguably one of the first people ever to 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 move Not into first. this right <laughs> to this online, especially this online realm. And since then, hundreds, maybe thousands of people have followed suit. But uh, you're still doing it out of out of love, and this is this is what you're genuinely curious about, and you're not out to just make a quick buck.
2: Yeah, I, I still have clients like like even though we have peaking directors and coaches now within our our diet doc system. Uh, I, I have clients that have been with me for more than ten years still, and uh, there are just people I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to, you know, say, hey, I can't work with you anymore. And anytime there's some kind of a personal connection, like like my own personal physician, his son here locally is doing a bodybuilding show, so here's the next Lane Norton story. And so <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll work with you. I mean, wow. I, I just have that heart for young young people to to do things healthy and right. And so. Uh, I, I'm always going to be like that because I'm I'm I love the industry if even at 46 years old and no longer competing I'm training just as hard I, my, my my hands and feet are still in uh, the industry and my my head is there so I, I do think what you said so he is mm-hmm. is, is perfect in it and it cuts both ways since anybody can be a coach even though it's quasi illegal and immoral. <laughs> right
1: right um,
2: yes. you know that makes it so anybody can get involved, and so you know, God bless America. But for <laughs> people, for people who really want to do it as a profession, I mean, the t- the time is probably over. It, it's it's one of those industries where, uh, you know, when when Texas Instruments brought out the first calculator, and you had to spend a hundred dollars for something that can just add and subtract. Now you can get those free anywhere. You right. know, it's going to be very difficult to make money as a bodybuilding prep coach unless you have other Avenues to your business. You know, what else are you doing? You know, do you have some retail interest? Do you have a brick and mortar where you're doing some personal training or general population nutrition work? you got to have something else, in my opinion, or you're just not going to make a living doing it.
0: Well, I think one of the things that somebody asked me about this getting into coaching, and uh, I said, listen, you, you, there's good and there's bad things. Like when I got into it, I, I had to deal with. The, the, what I was trying to overcome was people would say, "Well, can you really coach me over the internet?" Right? People would, mm-hmm. didn't didn't believe that I could do it, and then I showed over the years that I, you know, I could do it, and then other people showed they could do it too. Um, now there's so many people. I said, "Listen, you're not going to have a problem getting to con. You don't. You don't have to. You don't have to make that argument anymore. People buy their groceries online. There's not an aversion. They meet their spouses online. Uh, mm-hmm. Myself included. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is true. And so there there is no." there is no aversion to um to doing something online the problem becomes just how many people you're dealing with right um what's going to make you different and so i I don't i don't think i would stop short of saying i don't think you can make a living i think that you're going to have to prove that you are different right and i think one of the reasons i was successful yes i was i was you know after you one of the first people who did it on a large scale but also you know i have a phd i'm mm-hmm. an accomplished i'm an accomplished athlete myself um, mm-hmm. i've proven that i can not only that that i have the scientific background but that i can apply it and so like all those things cuz when people and this is probably gets to the core of when when i said that to you when i said i wanted to be a coach to you and your first thought was yeah right mm-hmm. um is the same thing as I told people. Listen, you you've got to, you've got to you, you've got to have. It's going to be for you to do it well. It's going to take a lot of work. It can be done. Yeah. It's going to take a lot of work because you need to find a way to set yourself apart. Um, because, like you said, it's it's so saturated. So, um, yeah, Very I think. Very true. And then people, uh, actually, uh, somebody asked me on Twitter, like, what should, what what certification should I get to be a coach? And I said, well. Do you actually care about being good or you (laughs) do just care about getting a certification because you want to have that certification? And there's nothing wrong with getting a certification, but that certification is only as good as the knowledge it imparts to you while you're getting it, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you want to get a CSCS or an NSCA, that's great. But if you just memorize stuff so you can take the test and forget it, it's worthless, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It'll get a few clients through the door, but won't keep them. So... And to be fair, college degrees are the same way. I mean, I know so many people who they can't tell you one thing they learned in college, like literally not even one thing. And first off, my my first thought is, wow, if I was your parents, I'd be pissed. Uh, (laughs) They paid for it. Um, And if if you paid for it, I'd be really pissed at yourself, you know? Uh, So, you know, really trying to actually, if you want to be good at it, like take classes, learn stuff get an education um, you know the research still we have this whole thought process in the United States and I don't want to get too political although you know where, where I lie um, that you know college is kind of a waste of money now That it's a waste of money and the reason people in my opinion think it's a waste of money is because they go in for things they're not interested in mm-hmm. they get a degree that they don't even use and They get degrees that are, quote, unquote, in safe jobs that become oversaturated. Like, look at computer science. Like, a computer science degree, it, it, it like, means basically nothing. I don't want to go that far because I know that there's some people who do get jobs. But, like, like in the early 2000s, the computer science industry was so saturated with people who got computer science because that was the safe degree to get, you know? Mm -hmm. So i think those people get bitter and say well college isn't worth anything the research still shows that you make a significantly higher income over the course of your life if you get a college degree and the literally the best investment that you can make not even in the stock market or anything the best investment you can make is in your own education so um you know what lane
1: that reminds me of uh our our fellow friend paul Ravella. And I think he's the one of the best examples of this at age. What what, uh, what was he? He was in the IT it tech industry for a while. And then in his mid, I, I want to say mid-30s, he switched over to becoming um, uh, online coaching. Uh, was, yep. So he was first one of your clients, became really good friends with you. And now he's currently pursuing going back to school to get his bachelor's in exercise science at USF, is it?
0: Yes, that's correct. But and I, I'm so glad you brought him up yeah. because he's one of our sponsors. Yes, he is. <laughs> he's a great guy. So like, oh yeah, he's a great guy. And but he's that's like the thing is Yeah, but that I mean that's the thing. Like he, he he told me he's like, I know he's and he's already making good money at it, but he's like I wanna really be good at it. You know, and so that's the way to do it if you really want to be good at it is to get an education. So,
2: you know, here's one of the things that I always advise people, and I just did this uh, last week. I was in Connecticut uh, teaching in our workshops, and you know, where I got my MFA in professional writing. I, I go back at the beginning of every semester for our residency weeks, and and we do some workshops and teaching and meet the new students. And there was a particular girl who was just there, kind of kind of seeing if she liked the program, and she said, "I'm either going to do my MFA in." In professional writing, or I'm going to get my MPH, and here's my background. And I said, without hesitation, even though the director of our program is going to hate me for this, go for the MPH uh, because something like writing is—you don't. There's not a job for that. If you want to be an engineer, get a degree in engineering. If you want to be a nurse, get a degree in nursing. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to spend money on, especially your first college degree. Do it in something that has some kind of a long-term solid base and future, and then you can do other things you like. You can expand. And I, and I say the same thing, Lane, to, what, to your remarks about coaching. You know, not everybody's just going to say, okay, I'm, I'm a coach or a nutrition consultant or a trainer, and you're going to have, you know, $100, a $100,000 year income. It's something you can segue into, but I would spend my time making sure I have some kind of a solid foundation first before I take too many entrepreneurial risks.
0: That's a that's a great point. Actually, I I don't know if you know this or not, but I originally wanted to be a marine scientist. Was my original <clears throat> yes. interest, and uh, I went to I wanted to do shark biology specifically. I loved sharks, and I met with a guy who was uh, one of the preeminent researchers in the world on great white sharks. So he actually took the time to meet with me. Um, awesome. It was at Florida Institute of Technology, and he said, "Listen, I'm I'm not I am not trying to dissuade you from going after this." However, I want you to understand what it is getting into it. I make very little money, <laughs> um, which he's like, it's fine. I love my job. I love my job. I wouldn't trade it for anything. My job is about one of a dozen jobs in the world, okay? Wow. He said, I think you should go do your degree in biology first. And if you get out of biology, you've got your degree and you decide that you are still very, very interested in marine science, go do a master's or a PhD, Okay. He said, be broad first, specialize later. And yeah, I think I that's – I actually thought that was great. I, I didn't end up doing that. I did a biochemistry undergrad and then a, a nutrition degree. But I really feel that actually helped me in graduate school. I felt like I was a, a, ahead of other people, especially in the coursework, because of my broad background, because I had that that basic understanding. You know, you don't want to – you can't get to the tip of the iceberg without building the, you know, the base first. That, okay, can,
2: can, the can I can I tell you why I I, I I want to tell you my favorite Lane story?
1: Oh, God. Oh, we're all listening.
0: Oh, uh, okay, we gotta go commercial break. Oh! Uh, okay.
2: <laughs> this this is, this up, is Lane story. It's my own perceptions of Lane's career because I've watched you since you were 19, and I've I've been able to be a part of that in different capacities. And, and here's something that, that amazed me on on two different points. Uh, when Lane was, you know, finishing his bachelor's degree and then he was getting ready to go to Illinois and so forth, the, the coaching industry was was kind of rolling at that point. I mean, I, I had been doing it for several years. There were a lot of people around. And, and I asked Lane because Lane was all over the internet, always on forums and so forth. And I said, you know, why aren't you doing this yet? What a, what a great way to be able to make money while you're in school. And Lane said, I don't think I'm good enough yet. I, I only have a bachelor's degree in nutrition and biochemistry. I need to wait until I get further in school. I, I'm just – I don't think it would be ethical. So n- number one, that was amazing, and you know, kudos to you for that, Lane. I mean, that that's the kind of ethic you've you've continued to to you know weave into your career. The second thing is talk about actual work ethic and vision. When Lane did start uh, his coaching career, Facebook had just gotten off the ground. I mean, everybody at that point would be scrambling around to these individual private forums. And when Facebook hit and Lane was already all over bodybuilding.com and so forth, I mean, there was nobody who could outpost Lane. He was nope.
0: like
2: he, he was like his own country. Every time there was somebody asking a question, it's like this command center in Florida was beeping and, and Lane was <laughs> awakened from a deep sleep and he's up answering these posts. Like I just envisioned these computer monitors all over his okay. bedroom or something. And, and and that's the work it took for you to build what you have today. And so I, I don't know how many people even understand uh, how much work you were willing to do for people for free and just kind of advancing the industry, advancing science, and the fact that you weren't even willing to ask to be paid for that until you felt you were responsible enough. Um, and, and, and you hit some great timing. I mean, you hit that tech bubble where, where social media really kicked in and that that to me was just an amazing convergence of all the right things happening
0: yeah i mean you know part of it was was definitely a little bit luck on my part in terms of when i was born and you know when case. i kind of put into it because yeah if, if we were born 50 years earlier we don't have a job you know at least not this. <laughs> um and so but yeah i mean that's part of it when people ask me like well how do i do what you do i'm saying we well, got to understand like I, I can go back and estimate based on how many emails I'd usually answer a day and, and, and so forth. And, you know, basically since 2001, when I started writing for bodybuilding.com, I estimate I had, I've answered probably over a quarter of a million emails. Uh, wow. Never, never asking for anything in return. Now, there, obviously, I, there are some I've answered that are clients and all that kind of stuff. But for the first, I don't know, five, six years, they were all, none of them were paid, you know. And made probably about eighty to 90,000 posts on different message boards. So when people ask me, they're like, Well, I, like I actually have this happen a lot. Um, I don't know if you know if you ever noticed this, Joe, or, or seen this, but there are some people who will get, like, when I got started getting really popular in natural bodybuilding, some natural bodybuilders actually got, for lack of a better term, I guess, jealous because oh, yes. they would look at me and they would say, well, this guy hasn't won any you know, pro shows and my physique's better than him. Why is he getting all this attention? And I, I wanted to be like, well, yeah, but like, okay, go make 90,000 posts on different message boards. Mm-hmm. Go get your PhD. Um, you know, go do your BS in biochemistry. Like, dude, go do all this other stuff. <laughs> and, right, and right. you know, yeah, you'll probably will we'll be more popular than me, you know, but it was, it was a convergence of all that work I put in. It wasn't just one thing. Um, actually, one of the best compliments I guess I ever got was from uh, Jeremy Lineke, and this was after um, uh, this past year's IPF Worlds where I got the silver medal. Uh, he said, you know, I don't know of anybody who is respected at the highest level of, of whatever they do in three different things. He's like, think about it. You know, you're in powerlifting, in natural bodybuilding, and in academics, you are respected by the top people in those fields, and I was like, "Huh, I never really thought about that, but that's pretty cool, um but yeah, I think you know being doing it ethically and and like you said because because it's what I wanted to do, and I always knew that if I was good enough, there would be opportunity to make money. But if I went in too early and did a bad job, that you know you only get one chance to make a first impression, you know mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't want to do it too soon, so that's a lot
2: of insight for somebody in their early twenties. But back to what Sohi said, I mean, it just, you know, it comes out of that curiosity and that hunger just to uh, just to explore. You know, it, it's, that's how I describe myself more than anything now. When people say, "Well, what do you do?" E- even my mom at Christmas, when she <laughs> found out I, I'm like I'm, I'm in Harvard now and doing a, a degree in social <laughs> psychology, uh-huh. my my mother looked at me and said, "What are you gonna do?" <laughs> like like she's trying to still figure out who this son is like where did you come from and I said you know I'm, I just do it for fun I mean I, you know one interest leads to another and it's just I'm you know I, I don't have a canoe and I you know to go explore like Lewis and Clark and I you know I'm not going to go climb a, a new mountain and so I'm just you know I'm exploring the way you can today in, in the internet age and so I'm just always looking at new things and, and just love diving in head first
1: I wish you guys could see me right now nodding my head so fervently with everything you're saying. I just love that with both of you. And I I think that especially with social media and, and the rise of Instagram more recently, there's this illusion that becoming a successful professional in the industry is easy and that all we do is coast around and sleep in and... And there are people who are like, you know, Uh, you know, they go, I want to be an online coach and I want to be respected, but I want to work also um, three hours a day. uh, And I go, you know, actually, it's a lot of hard work. And, uh, you know, the fact that Lane, you just gave specific numbers on how often you were posting. And I remember even when I emailed you just I want to four years ago now, three and a half years ago now. Um, I, I, was interviewing you. I wanted to interview you for an article on intermittent fasting that a lot of people know about, uh, that I was, um, writing for my own blog and you got back to me, I think within four hours with a paragraph long quote and you're like, how's that? And I'm like, um, first of all, you're a huge deal. And the fact that you got <laughs> back to me this quickly says a lot about your work ethic. And this is you know, that doesn't, hasn't changed. That's the same. You need to be a workhorse. You need to be, um, willing to work really hard. There's nothing easy about this life. And I think, you know, you have to get to a point where Lane, you've been doing this for so long, Dr. Joe, even longer, I'm, you know, considered the fetus of the group here as far as online coaching. But even so you have to, you've all worked to prove yourselves as credible, respected professionals, but it took you time to get to that point.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I think, you know, uh, one of my favorite quotes and Joe, it resonates with me because like you, I came from lower middle class family, great family. You know, my parents, um, mm-hmm. really hardworking people, but lower middle class, first person to go to college. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with Eric Thomas, a motivational speaker, but he said, you know, I may not have the same talent you do. You're, my, my family may not come from money. Um, you, your daddy might own the company, but you will not outwork me. And that's, I always, you know, Mm -hmm. as cheesy as that whole outwork thing sounds for some people, I always felt like, you know, if I've got one advantage, it is, I have a bone crushing soul sucking work ethic that I'll put up against anybody else. And if I'm going head to head with anybody else, if everything else is equal, they'll quit and I'll win. And that's always been my... Kind of how I've approached things, and uh, it served me well. You know, it's not always going to be the way. You know, you can't, you know, you can't work so hard that you can overcome everything, but you can overcome a hell of a lot with a good work ethic. And that's how I've always, that's how I've always approached things. Um,
2: it's, it's truly that massive action. You, you know, we have uh, we have almost a hundred Diet Doc uh, program owners around the world now, and, and one of one of the people who came on board. Uh, a couple months ago, has already entered our top 10. In her very first wow. month, she was in our top 10. Jeez. And, and our top people make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year just from our nutrition program. And, uh, and, and somebody asked her just uh, last week, you know, well, how in the world are you doing that? And she said, I just haven't stopped since I started. I mean, there's not a single Saturday or Sunday I have not been working. And I love this. I'm not going to stop. And so there are, like you said, so he people saying, "Well, gosh, I've got the same opportunity. I've got the same programming. I've got the same mentors, and Joe and Steve and Corey, and so forth." You know, why aren't I doing quite as well? Well, you know, start with just absolute massive action, mm-hmm. and yeah. there's you're going to make some mistakes. You're gonna you're gonna strike out a few times, but yep. as long as you keep swinging, some good things are going to happen.
0: Yeah, leap and grow wings on the way down. Yes. Yeah, a lot of people just. A lot of people just aim, 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 aim and they never right. pull the trigger, you right. know. And that's, yep. you know, yeah, you're gonna make some mistakes. You're gonna upset some people. You but you just, like you said, you keep swinging because um, I, I've had i had a lot of frustrations this last year because I've been setting up three different businesses, um, including my supplement line, and people will never know. Like you, will, you will never ever ever know how much actually goes into that kind of stuff. And I do. So, well, I know, I know it's you do, Joe. It's a lot, and uh, and that's even with having help because I'm partnered with Bodybuilding.com. I'm even having massive amounts of help, you know, and um, and like eighteen months of just working on this different stuff, like that, and Avatar Nutrition, our our online automated coaching service. Um, you know, just you can't people they just see the end product. They don't know how much word into it. Well, it was really frustrating because I. You know, worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and just so long to get off the ground, and I was so frustrated. And in the back of my mind, I'm saying, "Okay, you're really, really frustrated, which means that you're about to have a breakthrough." Mm-hmm. Because every time you've been really frustrated in your life, it was right after that when you didn't quit was where the breakthrough came. So, Great. going through all those like setbacks in my life, and you know, like I said, I, I was ready to quit my PhD. I was in tears, like literally punching the pillow on my bed, you know, and, and, um, uh, and didn't quit. And that's right. Literally like the week after is where we started getting breakthroughs on our research. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 do want to swing this back around cause this stuff is awesome, but Joe is actually has a great scientific mind. And since this is Physique Science Radio, we're going to, we're going to take a minute and ask him a couple science questions. Um, so I mean, you're basically known as the guy with you're the first person who I ever saw who said, you know, in Peak Week, probably not a good idea to cut your water and probably not a good idea to cut your sodium. Mm-hmm. And you know, I then similar to you, coach people in the same vein and we've obviously upset the apple cart a little bit of people who uh, who think you should do that? Can you speak a little bit of, of one why you think that dogma developed of cutting sodium and water, and two why you don't think is a good idea to do it?
2: Yeah, I mean the, the the way it happened, and I I would probably only go back personally as early as kind of the fifties and sixties in that era where you saw uh, people like Steve Reeves and you know even Arnold coming up, and and it just it seems obvious. I mean, you know, as soon as you go. Eat a large pizza and drink a pitcher of beer. You get very watery, and you know you have days you wake up, you look really tight. Days you look watery, and and of course a lot of that interstitial fluid is water, but there's also some body fat. I mean, lipids get thrown around in and out of you know uh, adipose cells very quickly, and so a lot of times what people think is water is actually fat. Some of it is you know glucose, you know attracting water uh, in and out of the cell, but. So, you know, for somebody to say, obviously, I want to look, quote, dry or tight, it it would seem to uh, make sense that that's water. But just like they thought a few hundred years ago, we were going to, you know, sail off the end of the earth before we knew it was round. It's just like that's that that was an observation without any scientific backing. So what didn't make sense to me was since. Muscle tissue is 65 to 75% water and you can see the obvious changes in in muscle volume just in the gym when you're hydrated or not, Mm -hmm. like why are we doing this? And it was because everybody just had this little superstitious formula. You know, this is how we do it. We, we, we deplete this, we load this, we deplete this, we do this. And on Mondays we do this, and Wednesdays we do this. And it was just this formulaic thing, and everybody was so superstitious they would upset the peaking gods if they didn't do it right. Yeah. And, um, and so I, it just it didn't make sense. And so I thought, you know, it, I, I had a friend. This was my very, very, very first paid client a friend of mine i had been competing against since we were teenagers and i saw him compete at a show and i said man you just looked awful like i've seen you 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 you've, 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 you've <laughs> crushed me so many times
0: a, well one quote so for anybody who knows joe he's about as frank as they come so he didn't <laughs> that's not like him like saying that he said it in a nice way but he said no that's probably exactly how he said it
2: well, I mean, because I know how good you can look. So yeah, you look really, really flat, and uh, and and he was getting ready to do his first pro show, and I said, "You just you can't do this. Why don't you let me help you?" And and so we did some experimenting, and and so my very first client was a, a pro in uh, New York, and uh, he ended up winning the class, the lightweight class, at a pro, you know, WNBF show. And he was totally, fully hydrated, and just looked like I know he could. And and then I experimented some of those things with like Dave Gooden. I mean, he would always be the same. You you think somebody of his caliber, who's as great as he is, he never really hit the stage at his best because he would always deplete a little bit. He would always sodium deplete and so forth. And when I got him to start hydrating a little bit more, using a little bit more sodium, he just started getting bigger and bigger, and started moving into even a middleweight class it had nothing to do with him gaining size he was just peaking better Uh, and so you know even today when you see people who just start adding for example sodium because water leaches out minerals from your body and so especially if you're really trying to be on that fine line of being as full as you can be and tight by the time you get to the stage hopefully you've been erring on the side of being tighter so even though you're not carb depleted You're certainly not overloaded. And so you're probably have going to be uh, in a situation, have been in a situation where you're excreting a lot of water, which includes things like calcium and sodium, potassium. And so I find that the easiest way to ensure somebody's gonna be as full as they can be without rolling the dice too far on carbs. I, I tell people your first way to make sure you're gonna be full is water. You've gotta have that volume. Then you have to direct that water to the right place. Carbs are risky. You need enough carbs, but carbs are risky. Carbs take a lot longer to assimilate. I mean, sometimes up to 48 hours, so you're not going to be able to eat something and then think an hour later, wow, that carb really made me full. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was probably just the caloric intake in general and even the minerals, the sodium specifically. So, you know, something like, you know, people eating Reese's peanut butter cups or something like that before stage, I guarantee you it's the sodium in it that's first acting, then the sugar, you know, and then the fats in that order. Mm-hmm. So, when, when, when I'm helping somebody peak, especially in, in that fine tuning of, of specificity on contest day, I've already understood and managed the flow of where they are the entire week. So I know how much glycogen they have in their body, I know what their water intake has been, I know what their sodium level has been. So my mindset the day of the show is, I know you're going to wake up kind of flat. I mean, duh, you've been asleep for eight hours or so without food. So let's start with, with water, let's, let's make sure we've, we've already planned out you know the meals, how and when, and then if we have to adjust anything, which I expect we're going to, I want to make sure we have the room to move sodium up and to move water up, and then if necessary, move carbs up. Because I already want to have a good plan with carbs, it's not like we're starting with a blank slate. Their carb plan for game day is going to be exactly how I wanted it based on the previous several days. So in in a nutshell, that's kind of my mindset, you know, heading into the contest day, just understanding the science of all those variables.
1: So it sounds like you with your clients, you'd never want to obviously never want to get them to the point where, oh, no, we can't go back. Oh, no, you're spilled over. Now what? So you'd rather um, err on the side of caution and push where you need to.
2: Yeah, that's that's sheer death to your stage appearance if you over carb. I mean, I mean, there are people who are ectomorphs with just a super fast metabolism that can metabolize and assimilate carbs quickly, and that's not going to be a problem for you know them. But for most people, it's you can you can definitely cross that line, and then it's going to be tough to go
0: back. That's a great point, and I, I think the other thing too is, um, you know, a lot of people. They, they try to connect the dots. you know. And When you're talking about a single person, you're talking about correlation, right? So I did this and I saw this, right? Yep. And a lot of times what you'll see is people carving up. They end up carving up way more than they need to um, because the, they'll, they'll deplete water. They'll deplete sodium. They do all the stuff we tell them not to do. And then they'll go out afterwards and they'll have a big cheat meal. And they look amazing afterwards, mm-hmm. way better than they looked on stage. And they go, oh, I just didn't carb up enough. Yes, and and the reality is like, no, dude, you were eating like 500 grams of carbs a day for the last two days. You finally you you went out to eat. You stopped caring. You drank sodium and ate you ate, you ate sodium and drank water, and that's what caused that that response. Yes. And when you woke up the next probably I would say 24 hour when you were 24 hours later, you probably looked terrible because of all that water that come out. And um, that's why. I t- I tell my clients actually a lot, Joe, you probably get this too, is they look pretty I don't want to say bad, but they look noticeably spilled over the day after mm-hmm. a show. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a client email me and they said, you know, I don't understand. They were actually kind of like annoyed. They're like all these people are posting pictures on their Instagram about how great they look the day after the show and you know, I'm I look like really kind of spilled over and i said well would you have preferred to look like this on show day <laughs> Like, what, is, what you, you know peaking implies that there is a valley as well you know like so to establish homeostasis your body is going to go back through those swings you just want to hopefully catch that swing to where your peak is when you're stepping on stage and not when you're off stage
2: well, and here's you know you bring up two things that I think are really crucial. One is correlation. I mean every every time this goes back yes. to you know mm-hmm. fifty thousand years ago when we say oh you know the the winds are blowing hard, God must be mad at me, and <laughs> you know we, we we create all these these correlations that just don't exist if you don't know the science. That that's that's the valid point of, of working with somebody that understands physiology. That no, it wasn't this. It was probably this. Or you know what? There are a dozen variables. Who knows? We need more data. We need uh, we need to see this happen more than once just to make some kind of a conclusive remark. But uh, you know, the other thing, Lane, is I'm finding more than ever, and this is, you know, it, it takes some of the uh, the mystique and, and uh, what people would think is magic out of it. But the, the fewer changes you have to make where you're creating some of those peaks and valleys, I, I start clients at the beginning of the week. And and my goal, of course, is to never go through a harsh depletion phase. But if we can keep building food intake, even if we have to stay stable for a while but then build toward the end, if I'm pushing them up toward that limit, uh, then then it's a lot easier to manage the contest day You know, instead of having these little swings of ups and downs. With people of slower metabolic capacity, absolutely it's more difficult because I can have any kind of a normal meal and I – I look spilled over for a while as my body's assimilating it, yes. but uh, I, I do find that just really trying to build forward, like so he said. I mean, once you've crossed that line, it's you're you're screwed. Mm-hmm. But if you can uh, if you can keep inching your way forward through peak week, your body's less uh, insulin sensitive, and you know exactly what you have to do. I either just have to slow down a little bit, or I need to step on the gas a little bit. But it's not throwing all the balls up in the air and hoping you catch the
0: right one. That's right, and that's I tell people you know proper peaking starts you know it actually starts weeks out it doesn't start the, the week of, but also you know I I'm like you I actually tend to like to put a little bit more carbs in a little bit earlier in the week uh, and see what happens see how, how does that person spill over or can they tolerate more that sort of thing because now if you're if you're spilled over you've got days to fix it if you're too flat you've got days to fix it whereas if you're loading you know thursday and friday if you're spilled over on saturday you you got hours to fix a problem and it's just not going to happen like you're gonna have to do something drastic and it's it's not going to work that makes a lot of
1: sense
2: and the, the only time you can really rectify you know that kind of a of a of an overspill is, like you said, with, with some days depending on your metabolism. It, it's, it's like the client you, you mentioned earlier who, after the show or something, it says, oh my gosh, look how great I look now. And, and that happens. You see somebody who goes out and has a huge meal, and all of a sudden they're sending you pictures of their forearm veins and saying, <laughs> why didn't I look like this on stage? And my response is, well, I'll tell you what. In an hour, take a picture of your ass in your trunks and send me that <laughs> and see if, if that's the kind of gamble you want to take because you know you're you're going to have that cyclical homeostatic adjustment as you said Lane and it's you know I don't want to say I'm conservative but I start the week being conservative and we build until we find those lines that we don't want to cross and then we we hold on I mean we just we go in there and on that day that's where the fine tuning really comes into play cuz hopefully we're at a point where you're just that close
0: I agree and uh, so one more one more science question, uh, and then we'll let you plug some stuff. Um, so you were actually I'm kind of known. So he and I are actually known as the "if it fits your macros" type people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, so the "if it fits your macros" movement actually started with you, and it started over peas. Would you mind? Huh. Tell, would you peas. mind peas. Yes. Would you mind telling that story, Joe? Because I think you know what I'm talking about.
2: Well, yeah. So, so remember, I said there was one personal trainer in Evansville, Indiana, when I moved here, mm-hmm. and he happened to be the guy who was helping me with with my own shows. I I was doing all this stuff myself, and somebody said, "Hey, you should really talk to this guy. He's he's he knows this stuff. He can help you." So he had his Flex magazine system. I mean, he had been out in California with people like Chris Aceto, and and he had developed his own little exchange system. So eat this many units of protein and this many units of carbs, and they were just basically his own exchange list. And so I had my list of foods, and you know me, I'm a rebel. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna buck the system every chance I get. Yeah. Uh, I'm an explorer. I want to know why. So. Uh, I, you know, I just, I'm getting sick of green beans. What else can I eat? Can I have some peas? I, for some reason, I like peas. He said, no, you can't have peas. And I said, well, why can't I have peas? Because it's not on the list. Why isn't it on the list? Just stop it. Just don't eat peas. Quit asking me questions. And, uh... And so I I kind of figured out, you know, what was behind his system and I don't even think he knew, but I'm I'm looking at how many ounces and grams of everything is in there and I'm like, why don't you just use the kind of universal language of nutrition? Why aren't we just like, here's what these nutrition fact panels say. Why don't you just tell me how many grams you want and I'll eat whatever I want. Like, I'm not going to go out and eat ice cream and, you know, stuff like that, but just, you know, what's wrong with peas compared to green beans? So, you know, he didn't like me after that very much. But um, I I that was kind of my system then is when I started doing nutrition, especially for our general population clients, I wanted them to have flexibility. You know, in 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 truth, I didn't start quote flexible dieting. I mean Weight Watchers was already there saying, Here's how many right. points you get, you can eat whatever you want. But I, I will say I was the first person in personal you know, one-on-one counseling to do the same thing on a wider scale, like not even just with points, but let's just use food fact panels and and do this. And, uh, you know, if if you're willing to learn that, which I think is pretty basic, I mean, clearly it's the number one common denominator in successful dieters in general, which is tracking your food. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's the best language to do it in. It's here it is on every on every food.
1: You know, I think uh, what's interesting to mention is, first of all, just a few episodes ago, we had Dr., uh, now Dr. Corey Probst uh, as a guest on Physique Science Radio, who actually is the, the vice president and wellness director of your diet doc program. And uh, I am maybe the biggest fan of her. I think she's so badass. Uh, just got her PhD in health psychology uh, talks about all the things that I love. She's got great videos on YouTube on binge eating, and I remember um, she described uh, y- your nutrition approach. And I think she termed the, the term was structured flexibility. Is that right?
2: Mm-hmm, Yep.
1: Which yeah. I- In my mind, makes a lot of sense. I love the terminology. Structured flexibility is exactly it. You 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 know you prescribe macros, and but there's still some flexibility involved as far as autonomy and and choosing what you like to eat and making that work for you.
2: Yeah, that's something. Last uh, last year, we have uh, an advertising agency that helps us with our blogging and so forth, and gives us you know all, all the strategies and deadlines and so forth that keep us on track and. And we we write in different series, you know, I I like having kind of a theme and a topic. And so I I was trying to find a new way to describe this flexibility. And so in one article that, you know, that that phrase came out, structured flexibility. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that really explains it well. So I, I wrote an entire series on it and now it's going to be, you know, part of the nutrition backbone of the book we're writing this year. But I, I think you're right, Sohi. I mean, structured flexibility. I, I hate it when people think flexibility is just, you know, if I have a certain amount of carbohydrate or fats, I can, I can eat it all in Snicker bars and donuts, and I'll be fine. No, no, you won't. You're just not. You're, you're. A, I mean, think of the health consequences, and you're trying to be some kind of a fitness professional. But B, just when it comes down to the ability to be accurate, you know, you, when, you, when you're when you're when you're eating food like that, you're giving up all control over what is truly in there. I don't care how how you weigh it or measure it, you don't know how accurate that is compared to having some basic whole foods. And so when it comes down to, you know, critical times and you need your progress to be perfect, you're not going to have the same success when you're that loose. Flexibility is great, but you've got to have some structure.
0: And that's a great point, Joe, and that's one of the things I tell people like, "Listen, I I'm all for like going on vacations and 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 uh, going out to dinner and all that kind of stuff, but here's the deal: like if I'm going to step on stage, I'm not going out to dinner two weeks before that. Like I'm not going to mm-hmm. do that because I don't know exactly what I'm getting. Like I'm going to be, yeah. I'm going to be the closer I get, the more "quote unquote" bro I'm going to get in terms of I'm still going to hit my macros, but I'm gonna I want to make sure I know what's in food. I want to make right, sure I know right. what's in there, and. Further, uh, it, it is a self-regulating thing because you're not just – like so He did an experiment where she ate a Snicker bar every, every day. <laughs> Don't miss that. Her, every day leading up to her show and she actually didn't like it because it took so much of her macronutrient intake right. towards something that was calorie-dense and not very filling. And so she, w- she was hungry for a good portion of the day because yes. of that, right? That's very and helpful. so one of the things I tell people is like, listen, the, the question is do you believe in magic, right? Do you believe there's magic foods? And the answer is no, there's not magic foods. And people want to demonize certain foods like high fructose, corn syrup or whatever it is. And the and if you look at all these foods, you look at any of the research, when they standardize for calories, there just isn't differences. There aren't differences. Um, the problem is is those foods are much easier to overeat on, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's not that your, your soda made you fat. It's that it's easy for you to drink a lot of soda and you're eating more calories, right? Mm-hmm. So – so I think the, the the pertinent point is that if you wanna have success with dieting, you're still gonna have to cut a lot of that stuff out because it's so calorie dense that you're not gonna be able to that you're not gonna be able to make it you're not gonna be able to make it fit. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, if you decide, hey, I really, really want a Snickers bar today, it's better to have a system where you can flexibly put that in and then reduce your intake from other sources the rest of the day. And still hit your overall intake, mm-hmm. versus just saying, "Ah, screw it! I I I can't track it, so I might as well just eat whatever I want." Which is the yeah. mentality a lot of people end up having.
2: Yeah, perfect, perfectly said. And you know, with us working with all of our our program owners and, and their clients, because you know, mm-hmm. if they get stuck with a client that's not making you know progress or they're having some problems, of course, you know, we we field those uh, questions and help them. And the first thing I always ask for is, of course, let me see their cumulative history. I want to see what they're eating. You know, okay, that looks good. Let me see their, you know, this. Let me see that. But when we get down to the food level, I say, let me see a daily food log and let's see what they're consuming. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're typically, that somebody who's having problems losing, they have a lot of exotic, weird foods. These, you know, zero-carb noodles, low-carb bread, this, mm-hmm. that. And, and as soon as we get rid of some of that stuff, they start losing, period. It just, it works every time. And so, I mean, of course, there are times you have to adjust their macronutrients and you have to discuss even meal formatting and spacing, but when somebody's doing almost everything right, it always comes down to the, the food sources. And we, we, we do this every time without fail. If somebody says you know, they're just still not losing, I will say, well, let's, let's do an experiment. Would you be willing to eat the exact same foods every day? Like, I will make a meal plan. It may not have any of the foods you normally eat, but I'm going to make a food plan. Would you eat it for one week? And every time, they start losing like crazy. And I'm not – I don't have, like you said, Lane, magic foods. I'm just giving them something basic and reproducible that that eliminates as much chance for error as possible.
0: Well, I think think one of the points to make there is I think – we trust that's what's on our food labels, what's in our food, um, but some of these low carb foods or, or calorie free foods or whatever it is, they that they, they, when they're actually tested, I mean, I know some of these foods have been tested and show they have twice the calories that they claim, and so, you know, it's Absolutely. it's one of those things that, yes, I mean, there are some good low calorie foods, but if you are having trouble, if you're struggling, you know. Um, then maybe you try cutting some of those out and, and replacing them with normal whole foods that you eat. You know, Like for example, you're not going to be able to take a sweet potato and say, well, it, it's not, it's not going to drastically have less carbs or more carbs. We, the, the USDA website listed. I mean you, you kind of know what's in there, right? Now right. there may be v- so small variances. And so I, I, I totally agree with that. And one of the things I do is if I'm going to eat something like that, I make sure I'm eating it in the off-season as well. So Mm. at least if it's more calories, if it is more calories, I'm consistently consuming it. And so when I start dieting, let's say it's 200 more calories than I think it is. Well, then I've been eating 200 more calories. Yes. So just cutting it out. Mm -hmm. So it's when people start dieting, what happens is they go from eating a lot of foods that aren't very uh, high volume to – now they add in all the low calorie foods, right? And that's why they get in trouble. I think another thing to be said is too: a lot of these low calorie foods are really, really high in fiber, and people get qu- quite frankly backed up. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, they they I, they, they may you know you had you said you had a client who was eating like a like a bag of broccoli every single day, or so, I think it was something like that, like,
2: like every it, meal. Wow!
0: Yeah, and you were like, okay, stop doing that, <laughs> and then they lost like four pounds or something insane. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and everything you said is exactly right, and, and that's why I, I like writing about structured flexibility, that the, the whole pendulum has swung so far toward flexibility that people don't understand that, yes, we all want maximum flexibility, but it still has to be within the bounds of your goals, and, you know, to be honest, we all get into habits, and we're going to, to cycle down into a certain type of meal pattern and certain foods, so, you you know, I mean, I have a current client right now who just s- seems uh, that it's her job to fit as many bad foods in her day as possible. Mm. And I'm like, I, I don't even think you would eat this way if somebody, you know, if you weren't dieting. But just because you're dieting now, you're just trying to eat as much bad food as you can just so you can wear the badge of flexibility. I'm like, yeah. th- that's that's not going to help you, you know? Yeah, it's just problem. not.
1: Um, you know, actually what that reminds me of, Dr. Joe? So. Back uh, last year, after Dr. Corey was on our podcast, we I ordered the book, 50 Days to Your Best Life, which you know you, you and, uh, and Corey co-authored, 50 Days to Your Best Life. And in that book, you see what I did there? I plugged your book, zing. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. a great book. And um, so one of the things that I read in there and I thought about it and I was like, that makes so much sense. So not only from a health standpoint, should you maybe not eat so much Packaged processed junk food, but also just from a tracking accuracy standpoint, the more packaged junk food you tend to eat, the more inaccurate. And this is just goes just goes along with what we were just talking about. The more inaccurate your intake tends to be, because how weirdly convenient is it that that cookie has exactly 100 calories? Wow, really, <laughs> really? What are the che- oh wow, Pop-Tart 200 or was it yeah. 220? That's weirdly convenient for me. And you know, Splenda Packet has technically has four calories per gram, but they, I guess, I think due to um, some whatever regulations they have, they're allowed to list it as zero calories. Zero. If but, it's under
0: five calories, they can list right. it as
1: zero. So, so, think about how often that happens with all these different uh, treats and foods that are out there. They all round. And if you're all rounding, at some point, um, you're rounding and you're rounding, and you become increasingly inaccurate with, you know, the more junk food you fit into your day. So there's just that, especially, so as you get deeper and deeper into dieting and, and especially if you're trying to prep for a show, that's something to really can think about.
2: And that's why I love what Lane just said about, you know, standard deviation, you know, yep. I mean, it, it, the, the secret is that the deep, dark secret is none of this is horribly, perfectly accurate because we just don't know. I mean, you just, you know, some of those foods and the processing of foods, uh, your own weighing and measuring and all that, but, uh. But as long as you're as close as you can be and you're consistent, whatever mechanism you have for accuracy is going to be also that consistent.
1: Right, which is what Absolutely. we always say. Consistency is always the most important aspect of, of, uh, of a fat loss success.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Joe, it's been a, a pleasure to have you on. Would you mind uh, plugging some stuff? You know, We know about the diet doc and, and whatnot. Uh, Any books and uh, if you want to say some more stuff about The Diet Doc, and I'm sure you've got some stuff going on that I don't even know about. So take take two um, minutes and plug away.
2: Sure. I mean the the first thing and the the biggest thing that we spend our time doing now as a company is helping other people develop their entrepreneurial vision. And so uh, under The Diet Doc LLC, our company – we, we license our curriculum and our systems. And so you'll see almost 100 diadoc owners around the world. And no matter what uh, vein of industry they're in, they could be a personal trainer working in somebody else's gym. They could have their own gym. They could be a chiropractor. They could, they could be doing something else full time, but they just want to kind of break into this industry. We go through a, a, an unbelievably dense amount of training that just never stops, you know, from, you know, entire day corporate training when you just get launched to our annual conference our weekly teleconference calls, monthly newsletters, all the forums that, I mean, we have staff dedicated just to those license owners. And I love seeing people be able to do what you and I have done with our careers. We want to make those dreams come true for people who want to own their own health and fitness business. So that's that's the biggest thing I could plug is is contact us you know uh, at thedietdoc.com and and we can give you information on that. Other than that, you know the the books we're always writing and so forth, Lane. And I mean, I really don't have anything that I think uh, anybody would be interested in. Our, our protein powder is fantastic, but there are, are other good ones out there. Uh, the the book that Corey and I are writing right now, definitely. Well, actually,
0: if I can plug your protein powder, my my mother, so she lives in Evansville, actually. You know, my mom's old school, but she actually drives to the diet doc to buy her protein powder yes. because that's her favorite huh. flavor. And Lane so, Norton's mom buys my protein powder. <laughs> there I'm you gonna, go. That's pretty much the best endorsement you can <laughs> get. Yes. My, mom her taste her of, website. my mom hates the taste of everything, especially it, protein powder. It, it, it is good.
2: We have, a, we have, great. A, we have a great, uh, great formulator and, and co-packer for that. I, I love the quality. Yeah, I mean we stand behind that but uh, our next book is is going to be out uh, probably at the end of this year and it really does focus on mindset and and things like that uh, we're we're going to we're going to have some interesting new ways of looking at the nutrition and so forth but everything we write currently is for our license owners and and creating the curriculum and the resources they need to, to help their clients succeed but um, it's it's always a pleasure talking to you guys Sohi and Lane uh, you know, we, we keep up with what you guys are doing and I'm, I'm going to be out there with Luke and Corey to, uh, to your camp in, in, uh, Tampa this summer. So I appreciate you guys inviting me back to that. Uh, just, just love, love hanging out with you guys and seeing what you do.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's always a pleasure when you get to, you know, um, kind of someone to be a mentor to you and and now like appear in the industry and everything. So, and you're, you're a phenomenal speaker and, uh, uh, a good friend for many years so we appreciate it joe and uh, sorry it took us so long to get you on the show me and so he were both like we've had joe on the show before for right? months
1: because, we're like what about dr joe th- what
0: about dr joe yeah, <laughs> we look back through and like oh no we, we haven't had on the show so yeah thank you so much for giving up an hour and uh, 15 minutes of your day we we truly appreciate it We appreciate your time
2: i love it guys thank you very much
0: all right joe we'll talk to you later
2: all right you guys take care
0: Hey guys, one of the things that's always on my mind is how can I give back to the industry that has done so much for me? That's why we formed the BioLane Foundation. The BioLane Foundation is a philanthropic initiative to raise money for grad school level research that is going to contribute to the fitness industry. And 100% of all your donations will be paid out to students. If you'd like to donate, you can go to BioLane.com, click on the About tab, and click on BioLane Foundation, and you can put your donation in through there. Or, if you're a student and you'd like to apply for a grant, go to BioLane.com, click the About tab, BioLane Foundation, and you can find the applications online there. Thank you guys so much, and I'm looking forward to all the great research that comes from these donations. You're listening to Physique Science Radio with Lane Norton and Sohi Lee. If you like what you hear and you'd like to learn more about us, read some of our articles, please visit my website at www.biolane.com and Sohi's website at SohiFit.com. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you listening and hope to hear more from you in the future.